นโมทัสสะบุคคะทัวอรหัตตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคคะทัวอรหัตตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคคะทัวอรหัตตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดัมมังสังขังนมัสสะSo before the uh, puja this evening, I was mentioning, uh, by way of starting our retreat, uh, uh, how thankful we are for the people who have put effort into making something like this possible, and and then by bringing gratitude to heart and mind and, and, and gladness and appreciation, what we're doing is. Finding nourishment for our spiritual practice, which is why I always find it's important to begin the day, or begin a retreat, or to end a retreat for that matter as well, by reflecting on goodness. All of us are quite capable of focusing on our faults, our own personal faults, and the faults of the world we live in, or the apparent faults. And There are plenty of things that are not how they should be, according to our preferences. And of course, there's a lot of things that would be good if we could change them. A lot of things about ourselves would be good if we could be different, be be more clear, be more calm, be more kind, be less greedy, be less angry, be less worried. So, whether it's inwardly or outwardly, it's very easy to. Be focused on the things that are not how we'd like them to be, and to uh, even to try and change them as well. That's perfectly uh, virtuous and suitable. However, if we are not adequately nourished in our spiritual practice, it's like I don't know if you saw that that uh, there was a thing on the BBC News was it yesterday or today. Some guy in Australia got lost, and they found him walking out of the desert, just an absolute rake. He was like a walking skeleton, and he had just been living on leeches and frogs for the, <laughs> for the last goodness knows how many weeks. And before that, he was a big, strapping, tall fellow, and basically he nearly died because uh, he wasn't properly nourished. I mean, or as if you're going on uh, a trek, or you're going mountain climbing, or you need to prepare yourself with proper nourishment. Uh, of course, with regards to the body, we're very aware of this. Most of us, anyway, and know how to look after ourselves with good diet and so on. Um, we understand how important it is, but uh, spiritually, the same principle holds true. And if we're em- embarking on this journey of purification, that is purifying our hearts, free from all those distortions, disfigurements, uh, impurities. Clouds that pollute our inner world, so that we can return to seeing clearly, living life, open, free, trusting, in touch with reality. If we want to realize this task, well, we have to really make sure we're properly nourished, because it is a—it's a journey. The, the Buddha used that metaphor often, and the, 
the way. He taught the way and then walking on the way. And it's a, it's an arduous journey at times. So, so this is something we're thinking about and I suggest over the next couple of days it, it could be a wise and helpful reflection for us all just to look and see where and how we find nourishment for our spiritual life. And also, conversely, um, where we lose it, yeah. where we leak energy. Because yeah. that's also it's, it's, uh, helpful. It's, like we were just talking recently about, I think we're talking about our carbon footprint. We, you know, we've got to be careful about you know, how much we're polluting the planet. It's, uh, it's a serious predicament that we're in these days, and we're looking at our insulation. And, so on. and we're talking about, I don't think we've got any insulation in the loft of the house. I don't think there's any insulation there. We've been here for 25 years, and I don't think it, <laughs> it's embarrassing. Here we've put double glazing up and insulating where we can, but the loft, is, as far as I know, is completely untouched, and so there's all this energy leaking out. We're, basically, we're heating Northumberland, which is, as you all know, is quite a task. <laughs> so where our energy leaks are, that's also worth being aware of. Where we can find nourishment and, uh, and also to be aware of where we, we lose, yeah, where we lack. So, yeah, beginning the retreat by, by contemplating the goodness of the people that made this um, retreat possible and the very environment here. This building, just the space that we're sitting in. What a wonderful space. You know, I was just listening the other day to some talks given by the, uh, the, the abbots, the senior incumbents who lived here before I came here. It was first Ajahn Suchito, and then there was Ajahn Viridamo, and then there was Ajahn Anando, and then Ajahn Tiridamo, and then Ajahn Babakaro. And uh, Ajahn Tiro wasn't there, but the other four were all there. I think it was at a ceremony of laying the foundations for the Stummer Hall. And uh, the four previous abbots were all reflecting on their time here and, and the amount of work that had gone into this place and what it was like. And when they put this building up here, all they, built, all they put up was the roof and the pillars, the foundations. They didn't even know what the walls were going to be like. But there was trust and there was confidence in goodness. There was trust that goodness would actually provide. And, and reflecting on the the motivation for, for even being here, for that matter. Farmer John Wake, and in the old days, who, and his generosity of invi- inviting the monks to be resident here on the hill, and, and all the, the people that invested so much time and energy and goodness into making this possible. And so what we have, actually, this whole building, this whole construction, this whole monastery, is the result of a lot of goodness. And I think that's a really wonderful thing to think about. And uh, I don't know whether... You know, it really translates into you know, energy or not. Some people come in here and they feel the energy. And whether it's actually a tangible energetic that's, that's created by all the good energy that's gone into it or whether it's because there are daivas living in here. If I was a daiva, I think this would be a nice place to live. Yeah, it's just, nobody does anything in here that's not good. There's nothing goes on in this building that's not good. We, we don't even eat in here. And the reason we don't eat in here is because so many of us turn into virtual pigs when we eat. You know, we get greedy when we eat. It's very easy to get greedy when you've got delicious food. And so I don't like eating in the Dhamma Hall because then it would bring all this greed in, into the Dhamma Hall. All we do in here is meditate and chant. 
Sometimes we sew robes in here because it's nice to lay the cloth out and on the floor. It's the only big space we've got. We recite our rule in here, <clears throat> and then we have the festivals of, of offering, Katina and Wesa, and that's the only things that go on in this space. So uh, whether it's an actual tangible energetic that exists or whether it's a psychological, the impression that, that is there, I don't really know, but I do think it's a very skillful and helpful thing to reflect on when we're sitting in this room, that this whole place, the motivation for for people coming here, or the, or the energy that's gone into doing this building, is all goodness. And we can draw on that. You know, when you're sitting here, maybe not feeling so good about yourself, maybe some bad memories or some worrying fantasies of the future, or think meditation is not how you think it should be. And we can be focused on or aware of the negativity of our perception, but what do we do about it? Well, we, we actually come back to the bigger picture. Remember where we are. And we're not in a hell realm here. We're not in a shopping center. We're not in a, a smoky pub where people are, are desperately trying to avoid the consequences of past heedlessness. <clears throat> we're in a place committed to, to conscious living and nourished by pure goodness I uh, recently thought of a new name for the retreat house because since we called it Harnham Retreat House, everybody's been calling it Harnham Retreat Centre. And the, it sounds, you know, there's, there's kind of the idea that it's somehow in competition with Amrawati Retreat Centre, which is very unfortunate because it's definitely not in competition with anywhere. It's basically just our guest accommodation for people who want to come here and stay in the monastery. So we, we, we try to have a, an English name so that it's you know, homegrown and everything, but no matter what we come up with, it seems to get distorted. So I thought, oh, well, why don't we just go back to having a Pali name? Well, maybe we could have both. Like we're here, we've got the monastery. Aruna Ratnagiri is our formal Pali name, and then it's also called Hanan Buddha's Monastery. So I came up with the name for the retreat house, Kusala Vihara, Hanan Retreat House. And Kusla Vihara means goodness abiding. It's an abiding of goodness. And so the only reason for going there is because people want to abide in goodness. It's built out of goodness. And people will come in there and be nourished by their own good intention and also, I believe, by the good intention of the people who have made it possible. So this is one way of, of nourishing ourselves to reflect on the, the bigger picture, the, the goodness of our lives, the goodness that we've received from our, our family, from our friends, um, or the goodness that we have now in the situation that we're living in. There is so much goodness around that if we don't, if we don't uh, focus on it, we don't sense it, we don't really register it, then maybe the work that we're trying to do, the work of actually purifying the heart or transforming the dross of our consciousness into uh, something which is pure and radiant, this hard and demanding work, maybe we find that uh, we're not really able to do it, which is a pity. So that's worth remembering. And then when we find ourselves in situations, whether it's on retreat here or in everyday life, 
where we catch ourselves losing energy, then also to remember that. Sometimes the the habit, if we catch ourselves losing it, is to cover up our mistake. If we we blow it, basically, we we say something that we shouldn't uh, hurt somebody or or we get caught up in, in, in worry, or, or we get caught up in, in um, judgment, condemning others, then we can just pretend it didn't happen. Like the other day, I was staying down at Amarawati, uh, Ajahn Abhinanda and I went down for a bunch of meetings at Amarawati, and all the senior monks and nuns were there together, and it was a great time. I mean, well, not all of it, as some of you have already told you. Some of the meetings were really tedious, but it was good to, you know, useful to be there and do what we needed to do. But in between the meetings was was the really nice bit. We're just catching up with each other and and uh, talking over things. But one of the things I uh, I went to my room and the room was beautifully prepared, and there was a nice kettle there and some nice clean water. Was the water down south is not very good. That's one of the things we can reflect on up here, how lucky we are with our pure water. We have really good water up here. Anyway, they, they, they always provide nice bottled water for me. So anyway, everything was there, and my nice rooibos tea bags, but there was no honey. <laughs> and so I uh, it's a little moment of disappointment. But uh, somebody went to a lot of trouble to get me a nice jar of honey, and I, I was so grateful for that. So anyway, uh, Ajahn Jayanto, who many of you know, and I were sitting there um, together catching up because we've hardly seen each other for the last eight years he's been in Thailand. And we thought, well, time for a cup of tea. And so I boiled the kettle and we go to open this jar of honey. And it was the funniest jar of honey I've ever seen. It was, it was like the skinny bit was at the top and the big bit was at the bottom, but there was no way you could get into it. You know, it's just there wasn't a lid. There was nothing to unscrew. We kind of tried this and tried that. And, and there was just nothing, no way of getting in. You could tell it was honey, liquid honey. But there was no way of getting into it. And it was quite frustrating. Oh, well, there's got to be something. So I said, you've got a pocket knife. So he managed to find a pocket knife. And so eventually we kind of, at the risk of cutting his, half his hand off, I mean, he kind of digging into this really tough plastic. And both of us were criticizing, saying, this is the most ridiculous designed honey bottle I've ever come across. And, which country was it made in anyway? And you know, we were we were pretty critical of this stupid design, and it was getting in the way of our having a nice cup of tea. And I don't know how long it took us to carve the top off this thick plastic jar of honey. Anyway, that was good. We got the top off, and we enjoyed a nice cup of tea. Well, blow me down if the next day we weren't sitting there again, and uh, there were several other monks in my room, and and suddenly we realised that actually. <laughs> The, the uh, screw bit was on the bottom, <laughs> and all you had to do was turn it up, and there was this nice little flip lid, and you squeeze it out. And it, was, it was one of the best designed jars of honey I've ever seen, because you see, it sits the way that it's supposed to, so the runny honey drains to the bottom, you see, and it had a little flick lid. It was a brilliant jar of honey, and there was just two wallies there who couldn't <laughs> figure out how to get into it. It was very humiliating, really. I mean, Ajahn Jayanta and I both realized that we had completely lost it. That was, okay, it was slightly humorous, but uh, you know, there are other situations that we find ourselves in where we, we really lose it. 
we do something like blaming, criticizing, condemning, condemning a whole nation. Like these days, it's very popular to condemn the Americans. And it's got to the point where actually it's almost, it's like racist. The, if you're an American in England these days, it's, uh, it's really very unpleasant. A lot of Americans suffer what amounts to racial abuse in this country. Uh, serious. If you spoke to a black person or some or a Jewish person in the way that people speak to Americans these days, you, you'd be head up. What's going on there? What are we doing when, when we blame? Now, this is this is not just this is not just uh, moralizing and saying how we should and shouldn't be, because probably most of us have had enough of that in our lives uh, from others and from ourselves already but rather finding out where do we lose our energy, you know, because what happens when we, when we do something like that? We don't feel good afterwards, do we? You know, when you, when you, you know, go around blaming and criticizing, how does it feel inwardly? We feel like we've actually somehow, it's been soiled or, or we can feel depleted or diminished in some way. And so when we catch ourselves doing that, yeah. criticizing things like maybe on this retreat here, as I said before, maybe you're sitting next to somebody who hasn't washed their socks. Well, that's unfortunate because I know what it's like. I've got a big nose and it works very well. <laughs> and if there's people around who haven't washed their socks or washed their bodies, for that matter, I find it really atrocious. But it's not the end of the world. I mean, you can feel like it is. I find sometimes you know, just if you're sitting next to a stinky person on the train and you've got three hours next to them or on the aeroplane, it can be you know 12 hours next to somebody. You can make a problem out of it and you can focus on it and you can dwell on it and say, they shouldn't be this way. They should, haven't they ever get taught hygiene and why can't they wash their clothes and why don't they know better? And we, what do we do? We lose a lot of energy. It's like we're leaking toxin out onto the world we're not contributing beauty to the world and we're not actually nourishing ourselves we're losing our energy and undermining our commitment to this path of practice or the climate you know I don't know what's going to happen over the next few days with the accommodation I don't know hopefully hopefully it's going to be lovely and warm and sunny and that you're, you've all got nice comfortable mattresses or the food we don't know what food's going to be offered, but this is what we've got. This is what we've got. Actually, the truth is, it's good enough. Yeah. The majority of the people on the planet don't have it anywhere near as good as we do, so I think we can all agree that definitely this is good enough. This is a privileged circumstance. But So what we do is when we find the mind complaining and criticizing, saying, oh, the food shouldn't be this way, or the accommodation, why are these mattresses so hard anyway? Or why are these mattresses so soft? Whatever, when the mind starts to go into this mood, into this activity, because we're being silent, because we have this shared commitment to consciousness, to awareness, let's try and remember, let's try and remember sooner that this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And is is this nourishing us or is this leaking energy out? Not being too quick to judge, not being too quick to... Because it's another way we can just say, oh, I shouldn't be like this. I should be grateful. 
I should be appreciative of all the things that are being offered. Because that's another way of losing energy. Somehow, somehow, being so interested, somehow being so interested in the reality of the moment that we catch ourselves when we, when we start to let our energy leak out like that. Because I think it, I think it comes down to interest. Really. I think interest is the most essential ingredient. If, if we're really interested in reality, that's why you know we go over and over again. Buddhang saranangachami, dhammang saranangachami, sankhang saranangachami. Say, I'm really interested in the Buddha. I'm really interested in Dhamma. I'm really interested in the Sangha. This is, these are the things that really interest me. These are the things that really matter to me. I bow down to these things because these things I raise up. These things are terribly important. It matters to me. Wisdom and compassion and how to realize the, these, these potentials. These things really matter. And, and by, by saying this consciously and by bowing in this way, what we're doing with our whole being, body, speech and mind, connecting with that which our heart is most deeply and sincerely interested in. And if we have this interest, well then this will help bring us to this moment, collect all our energy, collect our mind, collect our sensitivity, in a way that's not just up in our head, but in a whole body-mind way, which means we're in the optimum position for seeing in the moment what we're doing and that we're responsible for it. So if we're, if we're complaining, you know, we're leaking energy that way, well, we don't just go off and say, oh, I shouldn't be complaining, that's, that's too easy. Yeah, but they say, oh, right, this is, this is complaining. This is criticizing. And this is what it feels like. No judgment. Or worry. Yeah. Worry. I always worry. It's, I got infected with worry 30 seconds after conception, I think. <laughs> Certainly soon after conception. I, mean, I, I just was born worrying. I, mean, I think as soon as I popped out, I said, is everybody all right? <laughs> Have I upset anybody? <laughs> well, actually, I think I was on drugs. They, they, they knocked my mother out when I was born, so I was probably stoned when I was born. <laughs> But as soon as I came around, I probably felt guilty about it. <laughs> I just worry and feel guilty the whole time. That's just the way my mind's conditioned. I think generations, I don't know. It's speculation, but I suspect that I've probably been a, one of these fundamentalist cre- Christian preachers who are kind of intimidating people with hellfire and brimstone for, for lifetimes because it just seems to be so deeply in my conditioning. And, and so I can worry about anything. You know, I get a little growth on my arms and think, oh my God, this is another melanoma, and rush off to see Chase Ray. And Chase Ray says, oh, Achamonindo, don't you worry. <laughs> and that's good. I say, thank you, Chase Ray. It's very helpful. But actually, what would be more helpful is if I could catch the worry sooner. Instead of having to run off to Chase Ray or whoever else to reassure me that I haven't got another melanoma or some terrible disease. If I say, oh, right, this is something I'm doing. Oh, yeah, right, worrying. This is worry. This is worry. And this is what's so good about silence and our shared commitment together that we know this is the work we're all doing. We're all doing this work together. 
And I find that wonderfully helpful. I hope you do too, that to know that whatever it is, whether it's worry or remorse or regret or sadness. Ajahn Chandapalo gave a wonderful talk two or three nights ago when he was here, and he was talking about his first retreat here as a monk, uh, as an anagarika. And Ajahn Suchito was a real tough nut in those days. He's a softy these days, but in those days he was a really tough abbot. And everybody had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and meditate nearly all the day, right through to 11 o'clock at night. And then there was an hour break after the meal. There was no breakfast. And, and that's tough. And, and Ajahn Chandapalo was basically just a recovering hippie. I mean, he, well, he, he talked about his life as a student and so on. And halfway through this retreat, he just walked out here, came out here. In those days, this was all just a big grassy patch. This was, there was no beautiful Dhamma hall here. And he said he just collapsed in the middle of the grass here and just started howling and crying. He was just so sad. The whole thing was just so sad. He, just, he didn't know where it came. Just all the sadness came up. This tremendous, just mountains of sadness. And all he could do was cry and cry and cry. And then afterwards he felt better. Fortunately, he allowed himself to cry. He didn't fight it. didn't resist it. And that's the thing, that if our commitment is, is fueled by interest in reality, here and now, body, mind, judgment-free awareness, in this moment, to see for ourselves what we're doing at the moment that we're doing it. Even sadness can teach us. Even terrible sadness, like oh, self-criticism, I'm failing, I should be different, I should know better by now. No. Whatever's happening, we don't fight it, we receive it, we welcome it. Just the same as we welcome each other into this place here for this retreat. Yeah, I'm sure there's nobody that you saw at five o'clock who said, I wish you weren't here. I wish you hadn't come on retreat with us. Now, we wouldn't say that. Or, or everybody says, I'm lovely to see you. We all welcome each other. The spirit of welcoming is so beautiful. And it makes you feel good, doesn't it? When somebody welcomes you. It's just such a lovely feeling. You say, oh, welcome. Well, can you imagine if you do that to all the things that you struggle with? like your self-condemning and self-judgment and all these things. You know, if you just say, welcome, welcome, we can do it. It's a choice. We can actually do it. And, you know, even if, even if it feels a little bit disingenuous, like maybe there's somebody who you're not actually terribly pleased to see, somebody you have a slight difficult relationship with, you know, but you can say, welcome anyway, shake hands anyway, and then next thing you know, the difficulties have gone. Yeah, because what happens is we're, 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 we're generating the conditions to move on. We're not stuck with our fixed position, our fixed view of how they shouldn't be this way, I shouldn't be this way. So don't wait until you actually feel like you're delighted to come across all your limitations. Yeah. We can't necessarily feel delighted and pleased to see how limited we are before we start saying welcome. We just start saying welcome anyway. Welcome. Whatever comes along, we just say welcome. doesn't matter how bad it gets, we never give up. We just say welcome to everything. And the wonderful thing that comes out of that is that we, we discover, or we rediscover, if we've already discovered, we rediscover that actually we're responsible for our states of mind. Yeah. It's so such an easy habit 
to fall into and to strengthen, to think that somebody else is responsible. You know? And that's what blaming is about. That's what criticizing is about. It, it comes out of that view that you know, somebody else is responsible for our suffering. I, as I said, I can worry and suffer about anything. I, I, this building, I, a lot of people come in here and they say, oh, what a wonderful building, what a beautiful place. And, and I can come in here and I can just see the cracks in the plaster and, and the cobwebs. And I, Who's supposed to be cleaning this place anyway? And you know, the dead leaves in the plants, the half the plants in the conservatory are dead. Well, they were until ma'am did a beautiful job on cleaning them up today. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's very, I find it very easy to to be critical of anything. The astrologers tell me it's because I've got three or four planets in Virgo, and that's, you know, so I can blame the planets, or I can blame my Victorian grandmother. Was she ever a fuss budget? My grandmother. She was always criticising. Well, not always, actually. She was a sweetie, really. But she was so tough, you know. I mean, once she washed my mouth out with soap, she put this bar of soap in my mouth because I said the word blast. I didn't even say a really naughty word. I mean, you know, if I'd said something really naughty, I would have understood it. But blast, I mean, that's, that's not very bad, is it? You know, she washed my mouth out with soap for it. And it turned me into really a bad mouth teenager. <laughs> it took me years to get over my habit of swearing. But uh, I could blame my grandmother or I could blame my astrological configuration for my my fussy mind. But the truth is, the fact is, I can't go back and reconfigure the planets, if you believe in astrology. Or I can't change the effect that my grandmother or my mother had on me or anybody else. I can't change the past at all. Despite what that movie Minority Report says about it. I mean, it was a fascinating movie, but all that business about, what is it, pre-crime or something? You you see a crime and you go back and you change the conditions and stop the crime from happening? you know, but that's just the stuff of Tom Cruise and science fiction. That's not actually, you know, it's not reality. <laughs> that's not reality. You know, I trust in what the Buddha said, which is the past is dead. He said the past is dead and the future's not yet come or the future's not yet born. That's the truth. That's the reality. So this is what we've got. This is the reality we've got. So if I've got a picky mind or a fussy mind or a critical mind that worries about things and finds fault with things, which I have, yeah. I can go on about how things shouldn't have been in the past the way they were, or I can worry about how things are going to be in the future, but neither of those actually I can do anything about. I can't do anything about the past. I've tried and tried and tried and failed 100% of the time. And the future, I've tried to guarantee the future, and I can't. However, the wonderful thing, the good news is that actually right here and now, this moment, if we direct our attention in a skillful way, with interest, in reality, then we can experience for ourselves a shift in view, in appreciation, for how we receive our experience in this moment. That's what we can change. That's what we can change. So the, the thing to remember is there's no experience we can have in this moment that has to be a problem. That's the principle. That's, that's what we can trust in. Okay, the experience is that it's not like that. We get caught up. But we can remind ourselves. We can remind ourselves that, that the effort to make is not to try and change the past, not to try and change the future. 
not to blame, but to keep bringing the attention back to this moment of feeling how it feels in the moment until we get to see. It's like, aha. And it will happen if we keep doing it. It will happen. We just keep saying, aha. There it is. I'm doing it. I'm doing it in this moment. Yeah. I'm letting the energy leak out. And, you know, it's not even all bad energy that we leak out. Like sometimes even good energy we leak out. Like you can get high. And maybe, maybe you are totally inspired to be here on retreat. Hana Monastery is such a lovely place. And, and the monks are such lovely people. And the Anagaraga and Samanera are such lovely people. And, and your meditation can be rich and full in life. And you can just be trilling with Shakti. You know. <laughs> and it's not Krishna. <laughs> Despite what Richard has to say about it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you can just be trilling with delight, tears of bliss, streaming down your cheek, and also that you can be leaking. That's also good to reflect on. Because yeah, not everybody's got a mind like mine that is critical and complaining. You know, some people are, are, are totally positive and affirming about reality. But... Our commitment as Buddhists is to not take sides with either. Not take sides with, with complaining or negativity, but not to take sides even with goodness. So in the beginning I was talking about you know, being mindful of, of the goodness of our lives and the goodness of our environment and, and, and using that as a nourishment for our practice and an inspiration for our practice. But we don't, we don't indulge in it either. It's like any other nourishment. I mean, tahini, I think, is an ultimate food. You know, or helva, you know, which is just tahini with a little honey added. <laughs> but, you know, if, if that's all we ate, I mean, you'd sick, wouldn't you? I mean, you just can't eat, you know, eat too much, even of the best food. Well, likewise with goodness. If we indulge in goodness, even that makes us sick. And so the commitment as Buddhists is not even taking sides with goodness, not taking side with badness, but finding the middle way. And this interest in the middle way, we hear the, heard the Buddha talking about it. The Buddha said there is this possibility of freedom. Here and now there is this possibility of freedom. Not in the future, but here and now. Freedom is possible. It's a reality. This reality of the middle way exists here and now. Not to get caught up in the idea of where to create the middle way. We can think that we've got to, if we do this, do that, and we, then we can make the middle way happen. But no, no, Buddha said, no, no, the middle way is here and now. The middle way is here and now. Where does the middle way exist? The middle way exists between our taking sides. The tendency to take sides for goodness or for badness, to get lost in goodness or to get lost in badness, that's the world. That's what worldliness is about. You know, it can be really tempting just to get together and moan and complain about something. No. Well, as tempting as it is to get lost in goodness and to just trill with delight, and yeah, no, that's not it either. When there's goodness, to know there's goodness. As a whole body mind here and now, ah, oh, goodness, there's goodness. Goodness feels like this. Or when there's badness, to feel badness, to feel the tendency to complain or moan or get angry and feel like this. And that which feels, that which knows, that's what we're exercising. That's the mindfulness. That what, that's what we're committed to. And that's not even good. Yeah. That's beyond good and bad. Mindfulness is not even good. Yeah. 
When mindfulness is right mindfulness, then it's supportive of insight. But we don't even cling to it. We don't even cling to it. Like sometimes the experience of presence, of aliveness, of vitality, or mindfulness, awareness, the experience can trigger so much happiness and joy that if we're not careful, then we can cling to that too. And we can think that's the point of practice. Especially if you've been miserable for a while, you can think that actually being happy is the point of practice. But even being happy is not the point of practice. Being mindful is the point of practice. But uh, having said that, that's not a doctrine to, to grasp. And then if I talk like this, sometimes people think, oh, I have to try to be mindful. But trying to be mindful is not it either. Rather, being with ourselves in the moment, with interest, in reality, to see what it is that I'm doing right here and now where I'm losing energy, I'm leaking. So for the next uh, two days, starting from tomorrow morning, we can all agree to keep silent and reflect on these suggestions and whatever else comes into your mind. I'm sure all of you have brought your own themes for contemplation along with you. Uh, However, I would like to suggest whatever it is that you're contemplating that to remember the goodness. It's not something that we're taking sides with. In Newcastle, you go in the middle of Newcastle, there's a church in the middle of Newcastle that has in the front door Hate all evil, love all good. And I keep meaning to go and see the vicar to ask him why he puts that up there because I think that is so unhelpful. I think it's just so unhelpful to take sides like that. Because all of us have got good and evil within us. We're not taking sides with one or the other, but exercising the capacity we have for knowing, for seeing. For knowing and seeing freely which is quite different from taking sides. When there's badness or there's evil, it's not my badness, it's not my evil. When there's goodness, it's not my goodness. And when it feels like mine, well, we can feel that. And in the feeling and the knowing, then there's the possibility of letting go. Okay, so I wish you well for the two days of the retreat and uh, hope you have a useful, fruitful, meaningful time. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. I'm going to